Hi, yes, is, is, that, is that Eddie Jones? I'm just calling because I feel a bit down after the England defeat on Saturday. The world hasn't ended, mate. Yeah, I guarantee you, the world's still out there. OK, fair enough. Do you still think England can win the Six Nations? Uh, excuse me, don't put things in my mouth. No, of course not. Wouldn't, wouldn't dream of it. Should Luke Cow and Dickey join a volleyball team? I don't know. I've got no idea, mate. Don't worry about it. It's a, it's a game, game, good game, test match game of rugby today. OK, OK. Lastly, do we have to talk about Scotland this week? Well, I think it's almost, unfortunately, something you have to have. This is the Pop Pass Podcast with me, Charlie. And me, Freddie. Thanks so much for listening. It was as if he kicked about three pounds of haggis that time because it hardly got off the ground. Yes, welcome back to the Pop Pass Podcast, where we'll be talking all things rugby from the international stage all the way down to grassroots. And we'll always try to throw in a couple of stats that you can impress your friends with along the way. We're now not only available on Spotify, but also Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us and make sure you go follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're feeling extra nice, go and give us a five-star rating too. Is that a bit cheeky? No, it's not cheeky at all. We need all the help we can get. That's very, very true. What a weekend of rugby we had. The Six Nations is well and truly back. I'd be lying if I said I enjoyed all of it, but up until about the 63rd minute at Murrayfield, I was w- would say I was having a great time. Yeah, it seemed like, you know, England were actually playing okay for for 60 minutes and yeah capitulated once again and you know the the rest is history so yeah obviously we'll be talking a lot about what happens in the England Scotland game but it was it was great to have the Six Nations back and that's what matters really at the end of the day yeah exactly I mean there's always that sinking feeling when you lose the first game of a Six Nations because there's all that hope and optimism and you're kind of like oh you know I haven't tipped England for a grand slam but it would be nice wouldn't it yeah and they lose the first game and you're like well is that the tournament over for the year? It's obviously not, but for about an hour afterwards, there was that sinking feeling, wasn't there? I'd be interested to know, Scotland fans, if you if you do want to let us know whether this is the end of your Six Nations already. Like, has is that the high point done? It probably is, but you know, as we'll we'll speak about later on, it it could it could yet get better for Scotland throughout yeah. this tournament. And maybe better than your tips third place finish as well. <laughs> Speaking of Scotland fans, Charlie, you've been in Edinburgh for four years. I have indeed, yeah. And uh, so spe- you spent the Calcutta Cup with Scotland fans for those four years. And finally, you deliberately got away from Edinburgh because you were <laughs> in Edinburgh before um, before the weekend. You finally got away and yet we had a Scotland fan in the flat watching it with us. I know, I know. Well, I mean, it was nice because you, you do want to have a bit of both going in- into those games. But yeah... Um, I'm clearly a curse to England because that's four years of me being at Edinburgh and within that time England failed to win. Um, In fact I was actually at Murrayfield for when Scotland beat England and so yeah um, clearly I should not be watching England-Scotland games. (laughs) I'll take that in mind next year. (laughs) Just don't watch them with me. Exactly no definitely you're definitely a, a curse I reckon on the team. But anyway, let's get into it, shall we? First up, today we've got Ireland's demolition of Wales in Dublin. (laughs) 
So, opening game of the Six Nations, Ireland 29, Wales 7. Uh, Wales fans, I'd like to know if you were surprised by that result. I personally wasn't. Freddie, what are you thinking? Well, we were quite conservative in our predictions before that game. I think I said Ireland by 12 or something, or by 10. Right. I think that was just because I was like, well, you know, I do think Ireland are going to beat Wales. I just didn't think it was going to be that convincing. Yeah, yeah. And I I mean, that's that's an important point to sort of kick off with. And it, it could have been worse from a Welsh perspective. Sexton missed 11 points from in front of the posts across the course of the game. Now, it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, we could have been looking at a potentially 40-0 quite feasibly. Definitely. Because, you know, Basham's try right at the end was sort of, it seemed like a rare error from Ireland in their own 22. So, yeah, I mean, 40-0 would have been would have been awful from a Welsh perspective. So I, I guess maybe Welsh fans, you're thinking 29-7 wasn't that bad in the end, but... I don't know, it seemed pretty convincing no matter what. Yeah, I think aesthetically the scoreline is better for Wales fans. And I think maybe a lot of people who maybe just watch the Six Nations or just watch rugby at the Six Nations, it doesn't look awful. But by looking a bit deeper into the performances of the two teams, you're right, it could well have been much worse. Indeed, indeed. And I mean, Wales did have a yellow card. So, you know, once again, maybe... One of those things that Ireland could have even scored more points. I don't know. Um, what, what matters is 29-7, full-time score. So let's let's dig into a how did Ireland beat Wales. Now, I'm, I'm obviously not squid rugby, so I won't go too deep into this. But for me, Ireland's win was built on a tighter second half in general. And perhaps one stat that stands out to support that is the fact that by the end of the first half, Ireland had missed seven tackles compared to Wales's 10. But in the second half, Ireland only missed three tackles compared to Wales is 12. So, you know, stats aren't on everything, but I, f- I felt like that was one thing that showed that Ireland were a little bit tighter. So let's not forget that it was 10-0 at halftime. And I mean, if we're saying that it was a convincing Irish perspective, at halftime, you could not really know where the script was going to go at that point. And as I said earlier, it could have been more like 15-0. So in the first half, um, Wales actually had more territory than Ireland's. And so we're basically looking at this sort of halftime scoreline of, OK, Ireland did OK, but, you know, it could have been worse. Now, let's bear in mind that the majority of this squad were Leinster players. That's 14 of the match day 23 were all Leinster players. Compare that to other nations. England, for example, had five Saris players. That was the most from one team in their, in their 23. Scotland, which is probably a little bit more comparable in terms of club structure, you know, with Edinburgh and Glasgow being the major two teams. There were Edinburgh players, there were nine players, Glasgow players, six players. So, lots of Leinster players. Now let's look into sort of how Leinster have been playing recently. And, and maybe we can, I think we can see a sort of way to predict how, how Ireland could be playing in this championship. And I think this game showed it a little bit. Um, so one trait we've been seeing with Leicester is that they've been particularly high scoring in second halves. The standout performances being their 89-7 thrashing of Montpellier, where they scored 59 points in the second half. And against Connacht, they scored 28 points in the second half. So, proof of this, overall, in their last 10 games, Leinster have scored more points in the second half than in the first half. And that's what we saw on, on the weekend. Now, obviously, you know, this Irish side is a separate team to the Leinster side. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that, you know, the DNA of this team could be a team that is in the second half willing to really put away teams. And it could be a point to support what you were saying last week that, you know, this team is is the one to watch because if they can be that good in the second half, 
then, you know, maybe on the weekend, France could be in danger of, you know, not putting them away in the first half. And then they've got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, I think it shows the relentless nature of this side. I think you talk about missed tackles. This Irish team make teams tackle a lot. I mean, I haven't got the stats to hand. A lot of teams that they've played, especially back in the in the Autumn Nation series, they make teams work really, really hard. And then that comes to fruition in the second half when the opposition make less tackles, they miss more tackles and therefore concede more points. I mean, I do have the stats here. Oh, amazing. Wales had to complete 209 tackles throughout the game compared to Ireland's 130 attempted tackles. So, I mean, that's a sizable, that's nearly 80 tackles more. And and also, I'd just like to point out that sort of the calibre of players that were still being able to be brought on, even though Ireland started with a really strong lineup. I mean, Peter Romani was coming on, Joey Carberry, Conor Murray and Kean Healy. Like, that is a really good sort of whatever Eddie Jones would be calling them finishes, set of finishes. I mean, if you've watched the Squid Rugby deep dive into it, he'll say about sort of that um, Ireland had about eight jackal threats in their in their starting team. So yeah, overall what I'm what I'm looking at from that game was the DNA of a side that is really able to put away teams in the second half and and will be clinical throughout this championship. Definitely. I mean and what does this mean for Wales as well? Like we did talk about that vast array of experience that isn't there in that team. They weren't expected to go and win in Dublin, but maybe they were expected to put in a better performance than that. Definitely. We watched Josh Adams move to 13 and he didn't perform very well. He was yellow carded for a pretty shocking late hit on on Johnny Sexton. This Welsh side are going to have to muddle through the Six Nations, I think. And they've, they've got a really tough fixture next week against Scotland, a resurgent Scotland who are really on a high after the weekend's results. And then they go to England after that. Like They could feasibly be three losses on the bounce mm, so mm. It, it's going to be a really really tough time for Wales I think yeah I'm I'm very nervous to play Wales down before England play them so I feel like you know <laughs> good idea <laughs> yeah um I feel like we're not really sure about what we can see from this this championship from Wales but what we are sure is how strong this Irish side is okay now on to the Calcutta Cup Charlie, do we do we have to talk about it? No, let's not. I really don't want to. <laughs> it's too painful. It really is. It still is. still is a bit raw, to be honest. I mean, it's not like we've got a big test uh, on the weekend to try and sort of get back together and, and put in a great performance. I mean, I don't want to underplay Italy, but you want to be playing a, a big nation to get back on track. But look, a few months ago, England beat the world champions. I want to, I want to reiterate that point. The Do you want to say champions. again? Yeah. A few months ago, England beat the world champions. Yeah. Thank you. And another <laughs> new dawn was heralded in the press. You know, everyone was so positive about Eddie's New England. And even he was calling it New England in their training camps, which I, I'm not too sure about. But you know what? The, the idea is there. You know, and rightly so, because their performance during that game really illustrated the potential of some of those New England players, particularly our golden boy Marcus Smith, but, but others as well. But now... England lose to Scotland by a pretty fine margin. And some of the headlines I've been reading about England are that they're in crisis mode and that Eddie Jones has got to be sacked. And I don't really want to replicate that kind of fickle and reactionary standpoint about Saturday. You know, although I am pretty disappointed and because England dominated in enough areas, I think, to win the game. But something was a little bit off. I also don't want to downplay Scotland and just talk about England. Scotland did actually perform very, very well, but they didn't have to do that much. 
all they had to do was really soak up the England pressure and take their chances. And that's what it came down to. Yeah, it seemed like every time Scotland got the ball, they were a threat. And I'm, I'm not really exaggerating there. Their, their, their try, the first try, was something out of nothing, really. Exactly. They had nothing all first half. And then they put it out wide for a couple of phases. And Darcy Graham goes through, pops it off to, to Ben White. And they're in the lead after sort of a good 20 minutes of England being well on top without doing too much about it. And I want to talk about Darcy Graham as well, because... A lot of the focus before that game was on Dan van der Moe. He obviously played for the Lions last year. He, he's a big, big threat. And then you look on the opposite wing and you see Darcy Graham, who's much shorter, much smaller. And he kind of got ignored a little bit, but he really put in a performance that made everyone notice. I think he was integral, as I said, to that Ben White try. And he won that crucial turnover right at the death when England were, were pressing to maybe try and get a penalty to draw the game or, or even win it. He also, interestingly enough, beat six defenders throughout the game, which is as many as the entire England team. Damning. Now, it is damning because where, where, who is there to break the game line for England? It is, if, you, if, you, if you're looking at Scotland and you're saying, well, they, they beat 17 defenders. Darcy Graham was six, they beat 17. England beat six throughout the entire game. It does show England's backline and the profile of players they have within it wasn't really up to the standard necessary to try and go and win that test match. You had a lot of runners, a lot of fast players, a lot of players that, that can play in the centre, play on the wing, who have good boots on them, but but really no players who can who can break that gain line. And it was disappointing to see. I think I maybe overlooked that before the game started. I kind of thought that we'd be able to pin Scotland back with, with Elliot Daly and Henry Slade in the centres and with the boot of Marcus Smith as well. But then I didn't really take into account the fact that we really had no one who could beat a player. Yeah, and it's summarising that final move of the game where Max Malins takes it into contact. And I, I just don't know what was going through George Ford's... Whoever called that play... Now, obviously, I, I'm not a world-class player myself, so I shouldn't really be... Cred- I shouldn't, once were. Yeah, I shouldn't really be taking them apart too much. But still, like, who thought that Max Malins basically taking a crash ball would be the right option. And then it left all the forwards isolated on the other side of the pitch. It was just never going to work. So, yeah, we just didn't have that battering ram to make the yards and then play off. off. So, say Manny goes into there, takes it up a few yards, close to the, the scrum, then we go again and maybe you've got a finisher in there. We just didn't have that option. Exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned Manny Tulangi because England have suffered from a real over-reliance on him over the years. I mean, how has a nation with so many pro teams and so many players and so much funding consistently had to rely on one injury-prone player for so long? It's always about, the last few years, oh, when's Manu coming back? Or we we really could do with a Manu in midfield. You know, we've gone for two strategies, really, in the Eddie Jones era. We've gone for the dual playmaking system of George Ford and Owen Farrell, or we've gone for Owen Farrell, Manu Tulangi and Henry Slate. Those have been where our best performances have been at. Now, we can't really go for the dual playmaker. I don't think Henry Slade and Marcus Smith work like that. I don't think Henry Slade really is a true 12. I think he's a better 13. But when are we going to get over this reliance on Manu Tuolangi? Because he's going to come back, hopefully. He played for sale on the weekend and and impressed. He's going to come back into the team. But we're going to have to move on at some point and try and find new players who can fulfil that role. Do you think England are in a similar boat to Wales in that respect? That there's no one that they can put in at 13? So they're just like, right, okay, you know, in a similar sense that Wales have had to put North in, or as he said, like Adams in recently. Potentially, like both sides are looking for that sort of 13 that can be 
that battering ram. And yeah, we've only got Manu Tuolangi. Well, I think that's what you need. I mean, you look at France on the weekend, they had Dante. You look at Harlequins and they've got Andre Esterhazen. You can look at South Africa and they've got uh, Damon Dialende. Like all these teams, whether it be on the international or premiership stage, they've all got this big 12. And England, that's that one position that we don't quite have enough players who can fulfil that role. And yet Marchant was on the pitch. Like, I feel like Marchant could do that, and yet he just wasn't put in there. What, put, put in at, at 12? No, 13. At 13. But it's, it's, he, he's still not the same profile of player as, as Manu Tuolangi. He's not, he's not in, that, in that ilk where he can take a crash ball and mm. really make metres. Mm. It, it's something that Eddie Jones has got to solve or try and work out a different way of playing, which maybe was the, the, the idea behind the Scotland lineup um, to not rely on that, on that ball carrier. I just think that's one area that England could improve on there's just no way there's there's not a player out there that can do that I mean we spoke about Mark Atkinson last week he hasn't been given a shot I don't know why he wasn't on the bench to at least give maybe a different outlook to our attack if things were going wrong but you know overall things weren't going too wrong for England in that game they were dominating on many fronts apart from their sort of red zone efficiency, Scotland went into the 22 only a few times and they came out with points. England went in a number of times and didn't come away with any points. It comes down to those fine margins at this level. And I think England, maybe it's their inexperience, showed. And I think Scotland, when you look at the players that were that were integral to that win, Finn Russell's that double cross kick that got Luke Cowan Dickey in the bin was really a moment of genius. And then later on, when Luke Cowan Dickey was in the bin, he decides to kick straight away to put England under pressure in their own 22. And England inexplicably, I mean, this is one of the decisions that I just couldn't get my head around, inexplicably didn't bring Jamie George on and decided to let Joe Marler take it. It made absolutely no sense. And also, I I thought Ben Youngs was about to take it because he gets the ball. And then, yeah, and then Joe Marler, of all people, has to take it. Have you seen his TikTok of, of him sort of reacting to that moment? No. Uh, it's, it's not great, but it's, it's reasonably funny. Yeah. Um, there was one moment of that game. If you were watching that match, which I'm sure lots of people were, and you were a little bit confused as to what happened at that, because I was sat next to someone who doesn't watch a lot of rugby, um, the reason it went to a scrum was because Joe Marler, one, he didn't really throw it straight, but more importantly, he didn't throw it five metres. At a line-out, you've got to throw it at least five metres, so that was the reason I had to explain that one. So I thought, if anyone else is unsure about that rule, that's what it was. Lovely, lovely. Charlie with the rule book. Yeah, <laughs> I, I genuinely had to check it, though, because I was like, that is the rule. And then I was like, right, I'll check this. And I had to download the World Rugby Laws 2022, and uh, yeah, it's not a fun read. You're such a nerd. I only had to go to one page. (laughs) Page 84. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you were there to explain it. And I'm glad you're here now to explain it to to anyone who was also confused about about that over the weekend. Don't try me on anything else about the laws of rugby because scrum time, I I mean, I don't even know what was happening at the end of the game. I I thought there were penalties galore. Yeah, I mean, I was really, I mean, it was more out of hope than expectation, but I was just waiting for, for England to get a penalty in that last minute. And then have that weird debate whether they go for the corner or, or go for the draw. We're such salty England fans, aren't we? We are really. <laughs> and, and I think, yeah, I, I want to go back to Scotland because I don't want to neglect how good of a performance they put in. I think they didn't, again, they didn't have to do too much to win. They really soaked up the pressure. They defended really well. They didn't allow England to really get any go forward, especially in the backs. They did struggle a little bit, especially in the mall. But again, they didn't have to do very much. And 
that is a really good sign for Scotland going forward. They've won their most important game of the Six Nations and now they can go to Wales on the weekend and really try and push on. And maybe, just maybe, this is Scotland's year because I'll leave you with this, Charlie. This is the first time Scotland have beaten England in consecutive matches since 1984. And what happened that year? The Scots won the Grand Slam. And finally, France hosted yet another festival of rugby at the Stade de France with their sexy lights at the top of the stadium, showing <laughs> why they sh- are the hosts of the next rugby, rugby World Cup. So, you know, one for your fancy teams, this. I mean, uh, it, w- it was a fancy rugby player's dream. It's basically an exercise on who can select the French back to, that scores the most points. I mean, we all selected, well, most of us selected Jaminet, most of us selected Peno. And I'm so annoyed I didn't pick Villiers. <laughs> I think everyone is. He was the one player that no one selected and then he goes off and scores a hat-trick. But I mean, I should have seen it coming because I've in the past I used to watch a lot of the Rugby Sevens highlights on YouTube and he played in the French Rugby Sevens team, which isn't the best side, but he played there for three years. Now that just should have been my, my you know, my scouting zone there. Should have known that. Stat. Exactly. I mean, he's very um, Colby-esque with his little scrum cap on. He doesn't have the same uh, step as Colby, but he does have the same uh, same nails for scoring a try. Yeah, he, he did used to play at scrum half and centre apparently before going to wing I mean you can see that he was he's the right size for a scum half that is true coming from a, a man who also grew up with small man syndrome sorry what no <laughs> <laughs> yeah no he was he was incredible on the weekend I think France it was an interesting game they had a really slow start and it wasn't really the swashbuckling performance I thought they would produce but it really started coming together at towards the end of the game I mean I think I predicted before the game I told you it was going to be France by 35 yeah so it was France by 27, it was close. I mean, I, I tweeted on our Twitter account, which yeah. you should follow, by the way. <laughs> um, I tweeted, I put two options. It was either going to be an Italy shock or France by 20. How many votes did that receive? That uh, two. I wonder who voted on that. <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully, I was proven right just about. Just. I mean, it was close. It was a, there was a point where I was like, oh God, they're not going to get even 20 plus. Yeah, I think... They're be exposed. I, I mean, I spoke all about not underestimate, underestimating uh, Italy last week. And then, yeah, I predicted they were, were going to get beat by 35. But they were really strong early doors. I mean, who scored the first try? It wasn't a Frenchman. It mm-hmm. was an Italian teenager by the name of Menoncello, who also, I might add, was in my fantasy team. On your bench. On my bench, so he... His points were halved, but still, he was on my fancy team. And uh, and yeah, they performed really, really well in that first half. Last year, they kept the All Blacks scoreless for the longest period of time, uh, more than any other team that the All Blacks played. So it shows that early doors, the Italians can keep up with these top-tier teams. It's just as we move further and further into the game, the French were really able to turn the screw and, and rack up the points. But either way, I, I don't think France really threw down the gauntlet to to probably Ireland as the as the other joint favourites for the competition. Yeah, I agree. I mean, France had 14 penalties. Well, they conceded 14 penalties in that game. I mean, Ireland in their game conceded six during the whole match. Yeah, and, and discipline is such an important feature of a top side now. We've seen it with England who've lacked discipline for a while uh, under Eddie Jones. So I'm not discounting the French because they've got home field advantage next weekend. But... I don't think they really showed us all why we should be backing them for the title. I think despite the scoreline, they won by 27 points. 
I don't know. And they can grow into the tournament. Italy is a, is a nice game to start off with because you're more often than not going to win it. So you can really test out a few things before you go on to play some of the bigger teams in the tournament. Um, but I thought it was interesting because I think everyone was expecting France to really blow Italy away. And I know 27 points is a big margin. But as we said, we were looking at 35, 40, 50 maybe, you know, really putting down a marker at the start of the Six Nations. But they didn't really do that. And it's credit to the Italians because, I mean, they conceded 10 penalties, less penalties than France across the whole game. So, yes, if we're talking discipline, you know, they were they were the better of the two sides. But, yeah, it was it was still what we, we didn't really expect anything else from from that game. No, definitely. I think you're right. The Italians do deserve some credit. They're under a new coach. And last year, especially in comparison, they looked like they were going to concede every time someone entered a 22. It was 50 points to 10 the last time those two sides met. Yeah. So, you know, that's immediately an improvement. Exactly. And and look, if Italy can lock down defensively a little bit more and start, and if their points difference starts to decrease a little bit, they'll gradually get closer to these sides and maybe be able to spring a shock or two. So all is not lost for the Italians. The French have work to do, but they've got a huge match on the weekend to show us all why they should be deemed the favourites for the competition. So that is our review of all last weekend's fixtures. Looking ahead to this weekend, we've got Wales against Scotland at quarter past two on Saturday. France v Ireland a little bit later on at quarter to five. And then on Sunday, we have Italy against England at three o'clock. Charlie, I want you to quickly run me through your predictions for those games. I mean, the Italy-England game, that's another one for your fancy team. So, Definitely. I mean, who, who are you putting in, who are you replacing from your fancy team last week? Um, I mean... We'll see what Eddie Jones does. Um, so I, I'm thinking, you know, 20 points again for that game. I don't think England should have too many problems. France, Ireland. Oh my God, what a match that should be! Huge. I, I don't think I can. I don't think I can predict that one really. I'm going to say pff, France by three. Wow. And Wales, Scotland. Um, Scotland by 15. Wow. Okay. See, I've gone a little bit more conservative. I do think the Scots will win in Wales it will be tough though you know the Welsh in the Millennium Stadium they become a lot better when they play there I think Scotland will win by three points France v Ireland you're right it's a really really tough fixture to predict but I've backed the Irish for the tournament and I think they can do it in Paris and I've gone for Ireland by three and Italy v England it could be anything really depends what English side show up I hope they they show a little bit more attacking flair than they did at Murrayfield but I'll play it safe and say, agree with you, um, England by 20. <laughs> England by 20. Well, I mean, that should be, either way, that should be a great game. Exactly. So, but I mean, going back to the Ireland-France game, if we're both predicting it's going to be a three-pointer for either side, I really hope it's still a festival of rugby because if it's just sort of two sides battling it out... You don't want it to be a war of attrition, do you? No. I mean, it feels like it's the final has come at this point. Yeah, and I was really hoping the final would be the last game week that's what you want isn't it yeah England France and that's better for the neutral as well well you could say that (laughs) everyone against England but obviously that won't happen anymore it could but that probably won't happen you're right this is kind of the final of the six nations whoever wins this really sets themselves up nicely so it's going to be really really tight I'm really looking forward to it and we'll see what happens So that's it for today. Thanks for all of your support on the first episode. We've loved hearing your feedback and hopefully some of you liked it enough to stick with us for today. 
Once again, if you enjoyed it, make sure to go follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at the Pop Pass Pod and give us a five star rating if you like as well. And of course, Charlie, download the podcast as well. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all next week. This is the Pop Pass Podcast with me, Charlie, and me, Freddie. Thanks so much for listening. 